Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome to our listeners around the globe. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We've been fortunate to have a lot of wonderful guests on this podcast, a majority of which define themselves, as I do, as filmmakers, and I often connect filmmaking to storytelling. Today's guest is a very special filmmaker and storyteller whose own life, I think, is an amazing story in itself. She came to the United States as a young immigrant, and in spite of challenges, she attended the prestigious Stella Adler Acting Studio. She's one of the few people I know who thrived during the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, creating, producing, directing, and performing in her first two original short films. And I think she's just getting started. I am happy to welcome Magalie Pelfrey to the podcast. Magalie, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Magalie, I want to jump right into this. You discovered your love for acting at age seven. When I was seven, I was still eating dirt, and I think I wanted to be a duck when I grew up. For you, though, things really took off when you were young. Uh, can you take us through that journey, you know, starting at your young age, immigrating, and how you got to where you are today? I totally think that in life, you can have a path to follow and sometimes you don't even know what what is the path the path finds you I think that was my case Um, my brother always was in the arts he studied uh, direction died in a young age oh I'm so sorry Uh, to hear that he was 21 when he died and he was the oldest one but I always had on him like a you know like a role model and uh, I always loved when he used to have us doing like uh, radio shows. Uh, we used to get like elements and do st- complete stories out of nowhere. And I was one of the ones that was part of these radio shows. So I did the effects and the voices and this and that. And so I found it so, so fun. I, I found that this was like uh, not only fun, but creative and and so native to my soul. And one day I was walking in the streets of Bogota and a casting director saw me and she's like, oh, you want to do a commercial? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah, come to the casting. Okay. I went to the casting, got selected. And from there, she started introducing me to directors for acting and I started acting. Um, After that, I started also the theater group at my school because we didn't have a theater group. And I found that acting was not only like, a, I don't know, I can describe it like a, like a fire inside of you, but it was an opportunity to say whatever you wanted to say at the same time. So to me, it was like, oh, this is nice. Because when I put the theater group together, I remember I had the director inside of me still at that point. I used to tell um, my friends, okay, and we did one play, it was like um, um, kind of Shakespeare, but small level, you know, like for for seven, eight, nine. And I was telling everybody, you are going to do this role. You are going to do this role. And she, they were like, why are you telling us this? Because nobody knows what they have to do. And I'm telling you to do it. And then they follow. So I guess at that point, I kind of discovered that I had some talent for it, but I never pursued it. Uh, because the acting was too 
too passionate for me. Um, and from there, um, you know, my, my dad is a chemist and he always told me, uh, you have to pursue what you like, but also you have to learn all the things because acting is a roller coaster. Sometimes you have good roles and you make money, sometimes you don't. Um, so I also study business and, uh, from there, you know, I was like, okay, this is fun. You can make money out of this, but I missed the whole spirit inside the whole thing that moves you in life. So I was like, no, I need to go back to the acting. I need to go back to, uh, whatever my passion is. And that's why I went to Stella Adler and, and New York for me. Because we were telling me that you were from there. Um, this is a city I like by itself. Um, I, I found that the subway system is like the circulatory system. And <laughs> <laughs> it is that the, the people in New York is, uh, I will say, if you will describe this as a body, uh, the people in New York is the immune system. Mm -hmm. And Central Park is uh, the lungs. And I was there in this place with so much uh, variety, so much color. And uh, I used to live in uh, Columbus in 70. And I remember one day uh, I actually wrote about him. It's a person that every day when I went back from school, I saw him on the floor sitting over there. He was in his studies probably. Mm -hmm. He inspired me a lot because I saw him disconnected from reality in a way. Uh, he was a, a good-looking young person, but disconnected. Mm -hmm. So I understood that even when you are in the middle of such a life organism, you need to find yourself and you need to be able to connect with who you are because in all you will get lost um, and you will uh, lose the purpose of what is the reason why you came to this planet too. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm here today, probably, uh, maybe to share to so many people, to the audience, um, because maybe some of them are in some kind of discovery of their own. You were telling me your story, and I find amazing that all of us have a little bit of uh, kind of their own movie mm -hmm. inside of, the, of your own life. So the more that we get to share with people things like this, the more inspired everybody gets and moves forward their purpose. I would say my life story is a too strange for fiction. And if I wrote it as a biography, nobody would believe it. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the beauty of life? You know, sometimes people tell you, you cannot put that in film because nobody's going to believe it. Well, reality surpasses film. Yes. So you, if you really follow the path of watching reality and kind of be true to the art you can put anything there because reality is is amazing and it, it shows you nobody will believe like if we're sitting right now and COVID didn't occur nobody will believe us that we will be locked down for two years yeah. with like it's so surreal that if you would have put it in a movie everybody would tell you whoa you're crazy this is too much <laughs> Well, it happens. Mm -hmm. And maybe that opened the eyes for many people that unless you connect to your own self, unless you truly uh, find that spark inside of you, um, there's nothing that moves forward. You are the, the spirit that moves forward things. And the more that we do that and we connect with other souls, with other people around, 
if you don't want to call it soul or whatever you want to call it, energies around that do what they love to do, the better because the product by itself speaks. I know a lot of actors and a lot of them love spending time in New York. New York has the greatest people watching on the planet. And so many actors love the people watching part because they could just take so much from watching other people that can inform their characters. Oh, this I saw this guy in the street with a mannerism. Um, I saw the way this woman flicked her cigarette. That Did you pick up a lot of that when you were up there? Yes, uh, especially this gentleman that I'm telling you because I follow every night his story. It's kind of, I saw him there sitting waiting for nothing. And people passed by. Some people looked at him, some people didn't. Uh, some people dropped money to him. And one night when I was going back, I saw his mom. And his mom was broken because she was giving, I remember like if it was yesterday, she was hugging him and and he, it was the only moment that I saw him connected to reality. And to me, more than watching people because of trying to capture the essence of that to replay or to kind of portray this person, it's about imprinting inside of you that emotion because it's not about um, portraying somebody else. It's really channeling to this emotion that is inside of you and show it to the world through your eyes. Then is when the re- the real acting takes place. And as Stella Adler, they focus a lot on method, acting correct. So that's is, that that seems to what you're saying seems to be a large part of, of method acting. Yes, it is. And uh, I think at the end of the day, you study many different techniques and you find your own if you really continue in that search. You cannot stay with one because uh, as an individual, you are a mix of so many circumstances. So the same for an actor. You need to use certain tools. I see it in a way that you have, a, you know, like when you call your electrician, yeah? He gets to your house and he has a bunch of tools there and he knows what which tool he's going to pick up. It's the same for actors. You need to just, by instinct, connect with this character and see what the character is asking for. If the character is asking for this deep part of you that is uh, has to do with emotion, then pick up that tool. If he, if he's asking for, I don't know, more of the movement portion, you know, and more of the connection with the body, then pick up that tool. It's a mix of many things. So I believe, yeah. And it's interesting, you reminded me a story that I read about Marlon Brando when I think it was at Stella Adler. And the exercise was to... Pretend you're a chicken, and then your know, bombs are falling from the sky. All the other actors just started running around like a little like chicken with their head cut off. And Marlon Brando just just stood there, just stood there. The teacher said, "You know, what are you doing?" I'm a sick chicken. Bro. I'm, I'm a chicken. <laughs> uh, you know, chickens don't know what a bomb is. Don't totally. know what bombs are. And and it really it really gives insight into understanding like how an actor gets into the mind of who they're playing rather than just speaking lines or you know going through motions. I think it's more about, um, you're totally correct, it's more about finding inside of this little thing that speaks to you. It's not about the exterior or showing something towards if you really connect with the inside of the character and that emotion towards your own emotion, then it will come from inside towards the outside and then it becomes truthful. It becomes authentic, you know, uh, because you 
are only one person in the universe and nobody can portray that in the way that you do it, mm -hmm. but you. And so when a lot of, you know, the nervousness that a lot of actors experience going through a casting is understandable because it's part of the craft and it's right. part of the motivation and everything. But once you understand that you are the only one that can give that version of that character mm -hmm. as you do, then it's no competition. So speaking of casting, I wanted to ask you, I look at you and I've seen your picture and I know you're from Colombia, but if I saw you on the street or someone just handed me your picture for a casting, I would think Irish, maybe Swedish, you know, European. When you started, you know, working professionally, did you find like a challenge in being casted? Were they trying to cast you into, you know, those type of roles? Actually, that's one of my major ch challenges still, because I think, uh, when you go to a casting and they tell, because I'm from Colombia, so I speak Spanish, right? So uh, they tell the casting director or and my agent, send somebody that is Latin. Mm -hmm. And I literally walked to the door and they looked at me like, you're lost here, lady. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. So it's um, now it's a little bit better because you have roles that they are not the particular look that people, mm -hmm. the diversity that social media, not only social media, but Netflix and all this have given is an opportunity because then people understand that not everybody looks the same in a country because it's a mix of many cultures. Mm -hmm. And as I was telling you, I don't think that uh, we have to look a certain way because we were born in a place. These days you are a mix, nothing, no race is pure anymore. So, yeah, my great-great-great-grandfathers were from France, and then they moved to Spain, and then they moved to Colombia. So I'm going to look totally different than probably somebody that their great-great-grandfathers were uh, native from Colombia. And that gives a little flavor to the mix, right? Because then I can give to that character somebody that, yeah, is Latin because I speak Spanish, but it looks totally different. And that, then you can write stories that compel the audience that exists today, not from 2,000 years ago, yeah. right? Because the audience that is today is totally different and they are more um, eager to reflect their reality that they live. So if you, for example, now that you're in Miami and that you see in Miami so many people, here you also have a little bit of a circus like because you have people from all over the place and then you have Sony speaking in Portuguese and then some others in Spanish, some others in English. And then you see that the reality, you could have three people in the same building from three different nationalities all in the same elevator and that's a perfect scene. They get stuck in the elevator and none of them speak the same language. Guess what? You're going to have so much fun. I was just going to say, did you just pitch a, uh, a short film? Yeah, about, well, about a bunch it of people came against... out of my brain right now. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and on that, so when you came from Colombia, did you go right to New York? No. I, Miami has always been my base. Was uh, Did you experience some culture shock? No. No. I'm going to tell you something. I fell in love with this country since the moment that I arrived. And uh, the only thing I missed a lot was well, my relatives and my friends. But uh, I love the fact that American people are so open and straightforward. Sometimes we lack a little bit of that in Latin cultures because, yes, we, we are spoken, uh, but it's a dual outspoken. 
so society um, sometimes hidden a lot of stuff underneath and then you feel watch all the time. That's one of the things that I love from here. You can be your own self and nobody's going to criticize you. And then that gives you the tools to become stronger and decide, okay, if they criticize me, no, I don't care anymore, you know? But that security takes time. And for me, I always have a high sense of individuality. Uh, so I guess that's what it made me... Um, couple with you know like accommodate really easy mm -hmm. to the environment i love to be by myself a lot of times even though that i love i love to socialize i like to spend a lot of time by myself and i think that is something that a lot of people have shock with cultural shock when they come here it, it's interesting i can relate to that i like spending time by myself i like going i've gone to movies by myself i go out to eat by myself i just go you know sit in a bookstore, you know, a coffee shop by myself. Um, I did want to ask you, losing your brother, you know, young age, how hard that must have been and again. Um, I'm sorry. He was obviously a, an influence on you. Did you have other um, mentors or other people who influenced you along your way? Uh, yeah. I, I think everyone that has crossed my path in a way has been a mentor, um, personally and professionally, because without them, I wouldn't be who I am right now. Um, I wouldn't change up, not even a single thing of my life. Um, and that's kind of funny because I had a lot of uh, bumps in the road. Mm -hmm. um, but without them, I wouldn't be Maggie today, mm -hmm. you know. And um, my brother, even though that I lost him at an early age, continues to be an inspiration for me. Um, because we share a lot of dreams <laughs> and literally he comes into my dreams sometimes and talks to me. And so that's kind of beautiful because I keep that connection. Um, some of the things that I write today, and I actually am writing something um, that I hope I'm going to put together in a, in a film. Um, originally, story came from him and I've been developing uh, from there forward. Um, and it has to do uh, with uh, the society we live in today and how we disconnect a little bit from each other while we live in this society um, and we chase dreams that sometimes get stuck to us and become heavy after we are in the dream. Um, it's like some kind of clothing that you put on every time that you go out and when you are carrying this thing sometimes it's beautiful because it shines and everybody looks at it and everybody says how beautiful it is but after a while if you don't channel that energy correctly they come they can become a really heavy wet jacket that uh is gonna worn you down because it's too heavy that you can walk and it's interesting when you talk about that and talk about being by yourself it, i went to a episcopalian a boarding school in New England. Shout out South Kent School, go Cardinals! And uh, and I remember the chaplain talking with Tom about about monks when they would put their hood on. That would basically signal everyone, "Hey, I'm in my own world. I'm in my own thing. Don't bother me." And you know, we as a society, it's not a actual hood, but a lot of people put their hood on a lot of times. Like you know, you and I talked about you know going by yourself, being by yourself, and 
I think I think conventional wisdom is that's a bad thing, but I think it's I think everybody needs it. I'm going to tell you a story that I um, realized about it like a month ago. Actually, I have a friend that he has a turtle, and the turtle showed up in his in his house one time. He kept it, and he kept it in water. And the turtle one day got out of the tank and went inside of the earth. And he's like, I don't know why she's doing this. And she didn't come out. She didn't come out. Past four months, the turtle was inside of the earth. It never came out until four months after. And I was so worried because I'm like, she's going to die. She's not eating. And so I started researching. Turtles do that. And they go inside of the earth without eating or anything. They slow down their metabolism. Um, it's part of their process. And then they come out, out again to life. And that in that period of time, they change the whole, uh, everything, the skin, and they grow. So I was like amazed by the fact of this little turtle teaching me so much. We need this space to be able to go and retreat. And so you can grow and you can change the skin and go outside with a better skin so you don't get hurt. And people sometimes uh, underestimate the value of that. Uh, especially young people, um, these days are so uh, in automatic because they learn from their parents to be in automatic. Mm-hmm. And so being by yourself not only allows you to do that, but also allows you to listen to the everything. I sometimes do three days of silence. And it's amazing how the senses um, kind of expand and to connect to all the things that are out there that you don't pick up because it's too much noise. And so once you do that, you vibe in another, I don't know if tune or vibration or whatever, but your body will start telling you, hey, you need to slow down. Go back to that because it's, vibration is super important. It's so important that vibration is the reason why the whole universe is, is put together. And we are vibration. We are a high percentage of our bodies are water, but we don't listen to that. So I think that's part of why some people need it more than others. And I hope that more, if, if this inspires other people to kind of embrace that, it's okay. You are not crazy by being by yourself. It's okay to be like that. Very insightful, very spiritual. We are off and running to a great start. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Video Tech and Paradoxical Films are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story Master Training Workshops. You will learn how to work with actual 16mm and 35mm film and film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. In addition, the workshop will teach you what it takes to work on set as a first or second assistant camera, the fundamentals of lighting, and the pathway to becoming a director of photography. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tellyourstory for information on dates, pricing, and how to sign up. Hurry, as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly.
And we are back with Maggie Helfig. We're starting to talk about influences and that you were mentioning how a lot of people, so many people that you can't name, you'll have influenced you. Um, but I think you also had a couple that you did want to mention. Yeah. Um, most of the influences for me in film are people that are history known. Uh, Sergei Parajanov is one of them. Um, when I watch The Color of the Programmer, I always have a hard time pronouncing that one. Pomegranates? Pomegranates. Pomegranates. The Color of the Pomegranates. What a movie. The first time I saw that movie, I, I, I literally was sitting in my chair for a half an hour without speaking. Um, I think he is one of the best influences I have. I love cinema that is just moving frames, and he understood pe perfectly that. Um, you connect to the story just with the frames. It's not too much dialogue. Um, and I love that style. Um, also, Jean Cocteau is another one that I love. His style, The Blood of a Poet. Um, Godard with Breathless. Um, so I, I like... For me, I think we are a collective of influences from people from the past. And the further we go into that, the better, because then we understand the symbols and we understand why we want to use them or not. Sometimes they come as an instinct that is collective from many generations of people doing the same thing and it's imprinted in you. I also like to watch a lot of paintings, like Bosch is one of the ones that I like, uh, William Blake. Love his style. Paintings for me also are super important. Edward Hoffman. I think because film, it is a mix of between images, light, and story. Um, all of those take place in, in your mind and in your brain while you're writing, but also while you're shooting. And the story takes um, their own course. Like, is you have it in writing, and then you write a script, when you start shooting the sets, even though that you have everything super planned, the sets sometimes tell you something else, little details that you didn't see when you were writing. You catch at that moment and go for it. Go for that because that's a golden thing that you have right there. And then when you are editing, make sure that you let yourself uh, flow through it. So don't stick to one idea per se, even though that you have the idea the actual piece will talk to you and it's, it will start taking their own form. So um, I have that flexibility inside of the director and I, I'm the kind of filmmaker that like to be involved in all the process, in the editing even, because it's super important for me the way that the images flow. So uh, sometimes, for example, the last project that I did, uh, I took Probably three years since the first moment of conception, I lost uh, somebody. And at the moment that I was in the hospital, I wrote this poem. And it stuck with me the whole time. And it was one image of an empty chair that I saw at that moment. And the light was perfectly shooting at this thing. And that image stood with me. I started developing the idea during pandemic with the emotions that I felt. And with that poem... And when the moment was right, the project spoke to me and I said, this project is ready to go. Then I put it together and I said, it's ready to go. Let's do it. 
So, and even when we started doing it with pre-production and everything, um, uh, while we shooting, we found so many little details that I think a film is a collective of uh, moments that people are sharing. So it's too many people sharing the, this idea and this beautiful plan that you're creating, right? Uh, so everybody has an input on it. And you, as a director, which is the like the cohesive part, portion of it, need to listen to the input that other people are giving you. But also you need to have a clear vision of what your idea, because you are the one that wrote it and kind of have it in your head. So it's really important the communication in the pre-production portion between all the team members and also the feedback. So I think, uh, you know, in, in that process, is, is a, it's a beautiful process. And everybody that you share with also could be influences for you. Not only the people that is from the past, as I said, but for me, um, the team members of each project teach you things. Uh, and it's an evolving art yep and, and and you bring up a, a, a lot of good good points one of the things that jumped out to me i think of how important the ability to improvise is especially you know as you're you know when you're directing film and you see something that doesn't you know look right or looks different than you had thought and you know whether it's a no budget micro budget big budget budget time is money and to not spend time deliberating deciding and being able to think Right away, I uh, again a, a personal anecdote I've, I've discovered over years. Um, you know, I have ADHD, and my brain just works quicker. It doesn't mean I'm smarter. It doesn't mean it's working quicker to get to the right answer. But I found how that's helped me. You know, sometimes just you know being able to to make a decision or 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 a you know judgment on the fly to keep moving. And sometimes it's better to make a decision. Even if it's wrong, then deliberate for hours to get to the right decision, you know, over something that's going to be on screen for three seconds. Totally. I think I think instinct is a really big part of a director's life. And instinct in the sense of you have to trust uh, all the process that you've been through and you have to trust all the learning process also. You are in a position that can change the direction of the whole project. So... To get to that point, you prepare for it, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully you prepare for it through many things, through uh, the reading, through the life, through exposing yourself to different artists, to viewing different films. It's, it's a collective of things. So you need to trust the instinct, the, the thing that is inside of you telling you, no, let's go this way. And once you take that decision, you stick to it. Because if you start changing gears, everybody's going to get confused. And at the end of the day, the film is going to suffer. So you are there for the film. That's the, your main objective. And because that's a piece that no matter how many years you are gone by, is going to stay in somebody's eyes when they see it. And so you're going to speak to another generation through this piece. So trust that the process, if you follow correctly, and is going to be delivered in the piece. And I love the fact that you find inspiration everywhere. Like you are a true artist. That you find inspiration inspiration everywhere and yes it, it's collaborative but the director sets the tone of that the director is you know the leader and with leadership there does come some burden where you have to make the tough decisions totally. 
you, you know, that has, and everybody has to accept those, get on board or, or get off. Yes. And I, I think uh, it's similar to a general in a way, you know, you, you've been in the military, yeah. but the general also needs to be respected and loved yeah. because if, he, if you don't have that from your colleagues, then um, it's going to be friction and the, the final product is going to suffer and the piece is going to be totally incorrect. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a symbiotic uh, relationship there, you know? Yeah, it's respect, is love, but then the general needs to take decisions. Yeah. But once you're respected and loved, people understand that that's the right decision and will follow, even if they don't like it. Yep, and your AD is your sergeant major to make sure the sugar honey iced tea gets done. Totally. You need to have that uh, uh, person like in your side all the time. And uh, it's really, I think, um, the AD director relationship um, is like two brains that come together in one and reflected in the piece. Um, so that, especially in the, in the process of pre-production, needs to be really understood between them, between the two of them. Because if it's any misunderstanding, then at the moment of uh, production, when you're shooting, uh, you're going to suffer it. So going back to the pandemic section, the project that I did at, at that moment I worked like for six months with people uh, online. And I remember that uh, the person that I was doing production with, she was like, no, we need to do this now, 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 now. And I'm like, no, we need to take our time. And when we're ready, then we should. But uh, a lot of times production, and I understand why, you know, production tends to rush things so you should quick, but that's going to be more costly if you are not ready for that. So I prefer to take more time in pre-production and kind of work individually with each of the important and key people. Uh, and for me, important and key people is everybody <laughs> because, yeah, everybody's part of it. Yep. And I've said before on the podcast, I subscribe to the six or seven Ps, which is prior proper planning prevents poor performance. You can throw an extra P in there if you want. By nature, I love pre-planning. I like putting pieces in place and, and scheduling. And it's a uh, it's as much an art as a science, you know, being able to produce and and an AD. And a lot of times, you know, directors, super creative. You know, they have visions. They've, they've written a beautiful, perfect script. You know, they've been able to explain that, you know, to storyboard artists and get it. But they don't always know how to execute their own vision. And that's why you need your AD. You need a good cinematographer that understands you. And no one can do it alone. No, no one can do it alone. In the time that we shot during pandemic, uh, I had worked with different people in different countries because we were all locked down. So my DP, one of my DPs was in Miami. Another one was in, in Colombia because one of my actresses was in Colombia and she actually was the one that we started the whole project together with. And so she was in Cartagena, another actress was in Bogota and then the rest of the team was here in, in Miami. And we needed to shoot this as a unit that it felt in the same location. So we had to look for the, it, it was a gift from the universe, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, because we were closed down and a lot of places were not making money. So a lot of places were willing to underground lend you the, the location because was nobody was working. So we were able to enter at a ridiculous amount of money and we had the whole place for ourselves. So it was wonderful because, you know, we were able to do a lot of good takes um, in the moment when we were shooting 
in Colombia, in Bogota, Cartagena, uh, Miami, and you looked at the piece, you feel that you are in the United States. You never feel that you are in another place. You don't know where are you at, particularly because we did a lot of uh, shots that were uh, inside, a few outside, not too many because it was pandemic, so we didn't want to risk it. Um, but it was a wonderful experience because the GP that I had in Bogota and the GP that I have in Cartagena and the one that I worked with three different DPs, that was kind of crazy because we had to have one style and one tone in the whole piece. But everybody understood it so good and everybody uh, put their best effort. And in post-production, we also kind of color graded. Uh, it was a unit. So that's why we were able to accomplish uh, some nominations in some short film festivals and uh, win some of them, which we're really grateful for it. Because I think the magic was in the effort that everybody put together and in the intention. Sometimes I'm going to tell you it's really hard for actors and I think as an actress I'm going to tell these other actors that are out there, please be part of a production from zero to the end so you understand how the process is, how much work it takes. It's not only to go to set and do your part and then you get another dimension of what it is because you understand that yes, you go there, you do your part and you're the one is in, in, in the front of the camera, but it's huge work, effort. So actors sometimes don't want to take the time to rehearse ahead of time. And if you tell them we are going to do this for three months, they're like, what, you crazy? No, you really are committed to this thing. You need to work with me. So when you get to set, you don't have a doubt of what is the path of this character. And, and sometimes... I wish that a lot of, as an actress now speaking, I wish a lot of directors do this because then you don't have doubts. When you get there, you know exactly where the character is coming from, where the character is going to, and you're not giving any surprises. The good surprises are going to be from the actual performance, you know, and the, the director is going to be so pleased because he's going to be, this is what I was looking for. And so... I, I truly believe um, film is, a, is the most beautiful art that is out there because it tangles so many different arts. Mm -hmm. Writing and then you kind of paint reality with the light and with the motion. And then you, you are touching the soul of so many people with images that in, otherwise you wouldn't be able to. So it's, it's so beautiful. And unfortunately, people stop going to theaters. So right now, that's why probably you see movies like Babylon, that you have that feeling of sadness, of losing that. Yeah. Because it's so beautiful. So I think we're challenging ourselves to trans to the transformation of film as a uh, experience to be viewed in a huge uh, screen to a more personal experience. So the stories are shifting because of that. It's interesting you say that. Um, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a important summer for movie theaters. I think it's going to let movie theaters know whether they can survive or whether the end is near. And there's two sides to that coin. Yes, the individual experience, but there's also something magical, I think, of the collective experience. I think back seeing Jurassic Park in a theater, the first time the dinosaurs, you know, seeing Top Gun Maverick, the things that were done. And um, you know, I hope we don't lose that. Completely. I think it's vital. And and you, you touched on this, but I did want to talk a little bit more about how being an actress helped you as a director. And then once you started directing, how did that help you as an actress? I think uh, both arts 
in one, as an actress, you tap into the emotion totally. As a director, you tap in the emotion, but you tap in the conscious part of the viewing the whole thing from outside. So it's kind of you are in both territories. But I think the writing portion is the one that, for me, gets it together. Because then it allows me to understand the psychology of the characters since the moment that I'm writing and understanding how the vision should be portrayed to other people since the moment that I'm writing. So because of that, now I understand why Tarantino, for example, writes a book before ahead of doing a movie. He first writes the book, then he does the script, and then he does the production. Kind of understood why. When you do this process like that, there's no doubts at all about what direction who is going to take or why this character is going through this arc. It's so integrative that doesn't allow you, is it as an actress or as a director, to doubt about it. So to answer your question, I think both of them are giving me the tools to support each other. One in the inside, the other one towards the outside. One is more um, kind of leadership. The other one is more towards your inside, towards what you feel this character should be. And in the one in the middle is the writing. So uh, somebody asked me the other day, uh, you would be able to do again, because with the decisive action, we did the writing uh, together with another person, with two people more actually, is really hard for me to work like that right now, I think, because uh, unless the person that I'm writing with is in the same exact page and able to move around the story and stuff like that, because I'm the kind of writer that wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning because I dream with a scene and wake up and write the scene at 3 a.m. in the morning because I cannot get out of my head. So uh, when you had that, like uh, that instinct coming to okay this must be in the scene because of that and then you understand why because your subconscious is working underneath all the information that you've been putting together in your head comes when you're sleeping and then it gives you the the answer that magical moment of look this should be in in this and this portion how you can make somebody understand that is really hard so to collaborate with other writers is a beautiful process but it's really challenging I don't know if that happens to you, but like it's really challenging. It does. And, and I want to keep talking about this topic. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. But first, we would like to thank our partners that help make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who has been providing filmmaking equipment, training and services to the film industry, both inside and outside the United States since 1968. M2 Films, who provides directing, writing and assistant director services. ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment, marketing advertising, and commercial projects. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. We're starting to talk about collaboration. And you said it's it's a challenge writing with others. Uh, I agree. Especially when you can picture in your head what you want and you know, but, but the person you're writing with could be your best friend, could be your person you've collaborated with all the time. But sometimes you just, just don't get it, aren't on 
the same same wavelength. How how do you work with that? How do you work around that? I think um, it has to do with trying to pitch basically to the other person your idea the best that you could. Uh, sometimes ideas are in the subconscious, and when they come as images, I don't know if this happened to you when you write because. When they come as images and and then you have a clear vision of how they should be, it's kind of hard to pitch to the other person. And sometimes I draw things. Sometimes I just um, sketch things out or I just look for some references so the person can understand where I'm going to. And I guess it goes back to the general love and, you know, respect. It it goes back to that. The person that you're working with needs to have some kind of admiration of your work so they understand where you're going and you need to also respect their work. So you need to trust the process. When you're writing something that you know you're going to direct, do you tend to put more direction into the script or less? I tend to put more the emotion, but I'm super clear about where the light needs to go or how, for example, I describe if a character is sitting in this chair and the light is giving her a little bit of shadow to the left side or so. So the DP also understands a little bit the vibe uh, of the whole uh, scene. But I think... I'm I'm not expecting to be a DP at all. (laughs) I think this is a really complex and technical and profound profession. They study a lot and all the time they need to continue studying because new techniques, new cameras, they need to know really the camera and understand each of the tools that they work with. And it's really amazing. But I do have a clear vision of what I want to see. So in, in the script, I what I do, first of all, I lay out the script and then I do for pre-production kind of one for the DP mm-hmm. and one for the other crew members. Mm-hmm. But with the DP, I work in a different way because then we sit down and I tell, well, this scene, I want something and then I give references, usually are in paintings. Or usually, if I don't have a good one for painting, then I look for a for a particular scene in a movie that I feel the same tone. So I think it's important that the DP some DPs don't like to watch movies, and I cannot understand that because to me it, it is like any other art. You know, you need to have a sense of uh, feeling of the light, super clear. And the more that you watch, especially black and white movies, the more you understand how light uh, makes a different tone into your scene. Yeah, a a DPI work with a lot. Um, We love working together because we we complement each other. You know, my strengths are her weakness, her strengths are my weakness. So, you know, I'll have an idea, you know, and say, hey, you know, I want to shoot this. I want it to look like this. And she'll be like, yeah, she can be like, that's going to look like crap because of this. Or then she'll say, you know, I see it, but I think it would look better, you know, like this. And when it comes to what the camera sees, I defer to my DP 100% of the time. Because even though I picture it in my head and think it may look good visually looking at it outside the camera, if the camera doesn't capture it right, what's the point? I am kind of picky in regards, like, uh, with the DP, for example, sometimes I have um, 
Some of them are flexible with you uh, choosing what is the angle, what is the frame. I particularly tend to choose the angle and the frame. But some of them are uneasy about it because I understand why, but then it's a matter of working together. So you understand why I choose that. And if you understand that, then you go with it. And then you will say, okay, yeah, I understand why you're choosing this, but the, I think as a DP, I can improve your scene by yep. this. By this uh, light here is going to enhance the texture of that chair. It's going to look much better, for example, and it's going to reflect the mood, things like that. But the communication between DP and director is super important. And she also knows being I'm, I'm partially colorblind, so I'm never going to question anybody on colors. Okay. <laughs> Do you think that's too green, Howie? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, I trust you. Um, and a lot of people tend to think that you can correct everything in post-production with color correction. But my intake on that will be if you don't see it there, don't even crack your head at, after in post-production yeah. because it's going to be a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to spend double of the time and money trying to see what you were supposed to shoot at, at the first time. Yeah. So the better for you that comes from set, Yep. The best for the film. And it's also important, especially independent films that are moving quick, they forget how important paperwork is. Like paperwork is a different exercise. Paperwork is there. You do the lighting and setup diagram so that you know if you have to come back in a week, where they go. You record your temperatures. You record your intensity so that you can re reproduce it. You know, it's not, you know, you use your camera report so you know exactly what lens is and shutter speed and your sound reports, you know, those aren't just for fun. There's a need for those. And a little thing like that, like not knowing what temperature your light was when you shot the last scene and trying to guess it from looking at footage. It's going to change the whole tone. Take the time and just make notes, you know, do your reports. Totally. <laughs> I'm a fan of natural light, but um, that works for certain projects. For others, it's, it's a nightmare and it's impossible to create. Uh, so it depends on what you are creating. Uh, you will be able to get away with it or not. Yeah, I, I love natural light. I hate natural sounds. That's that's to give it. I always, you know, I always joke that, you know what, from now on, I'm going to make black and white silent films indoors. So don't have to worry about color. Don't have to worry about sound. Don't have to worry about sun or planes flying overhead. My last project I did... Um, Sound was a, a character by itself. To me, sound is one element that is really important in film. It tells a story by itself. Like when, when you are listening to your track without images, then you really know if you are going to be able to have the, the trip with the images or not. That's probably why Parajanov is one of my influences. Because it's not only the images that are spectacular, that they look like frames, but is the sense of the sound of this paper flying with the wind that it takes you to another dimension for a moment. So I think uh, I agree with you about the sound. It's really important. And, and I've also experienced on, on some independent films, sound unfortunately becomes an afterthought. It's there's so much focus on camera. Like, you know, I get it. You know, boom mics and sound recorders aren't as sexy as, you know, red cameras or big lenses. And, you know, the, the production suffers. I know from talking to a lot of people who are judges and film festivals that sound is often the biggest thing that causes good films to not be accepted or not move forward. And you can crack your head in post-production trying to fix it because it's going to be a nightmare. You have 
I don't know how many channels there. And then you're trying to denoise this thing. And then the actor is speaking in the middle. Then you're going to have to ADR, which is never going to give you the same feeling of the original take. Unless you're going to shoot everything from someone's back or you're not going to see it. And, and you also touched on a good point, how important sound is. We always talk about how you know film is a visual medium by that, but sound is important. And there's so many movies that you can watch on mute, you know, with no sound and still get it. But there's also movies that you can listen to. I love the movie Whiplash. And that, and there are times where I'm in my car, I'll actually put the movie Whiplash on to listen to it. I mean, it just to the great music, but you know, you could hear, J.K., so you could hear the emotions that are going on there. So, so to film lovers, check, give yourself a challenge like that. Find movies that you can watch with no sound and then find movies you can listen to with no images. I think for me, it's because it comes from my childhood, from that time where my brother used to make me do noises and stuff <laughs> to resemble radio radio soap operas. So it's like, um, I don't know, it's, it's so important to, we forget how to listen these days because there's so much noise that we really don't recognize the difference between somebody speaking to you from the soul and from, from their gut and you just overwrite noise. And so it's like you mute yourself so because you don't want to hear the the noises. You don't want to hear the complaints. You don't want to hear the news because they're all negative. You don't want to, you, you, you just close yourself down, even though that you hear things all the time because most people cannot live without music or noise around them. But when you really shut down everything off and we know it in film because we shoot and we record the noise of the environment, when you do that, you realize that Every single space has their own vibe and their own sound. And then the same for human beings, for animals, for for tape, for everything produces a different sound. And then you, you acknowledge how important it is. And that was, I think, the vibrations that you were talking about earlier, how important that is. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And I know me, I silence scares me. You know, if I'm writing or if I'm working, I got to have music. I usually listen to like movie score. Music, you know, I just put Hans Zimmer on repeat. Carl Jung used to say that the reason why that happens is because we're scared of our own shadows. And sometimes probably is true. I think the subconscious that um, doesn't want to, well, it's there, but sometimes we want to silence it. And then uh, when we embrace that and we say, well, okay, go ahead, stay there, stand in front of me. I'm going to just look at you and whatever. It becomes a partner. It becomes something that um, little by little you will get used to it. And little by little, it does not going to have too much power over you anymore. So it's, it's normal that that happens. Uh, and at the beginning, too much silence. It's not silence at the end of the day when you realize that it's not. Like if we, I don't say a word for a second right here. You hear something. It's like, uh, is is the space. I, I see it, you know how. I feel that we are all in this huge belly that is the world, right? And we are like in the belly when we are babies. And then the world is like a belly. And we are in this placenta called the air that makes us alive, that we all share. And that produces certain noises. You can even hear the, the heartbeat of another person. And you really try to stay still and kind of connect with that. So when we reflect that in, in film, it becomes so powerful because then the audience is not only looking at this image that is connecting to them and they are connecting to this, 
backwards, but they are subconsciously connecting to that sound together. And that it goes power more powerful than even the image because it gets into the subconscious. And like you said, and at the right time when you need it, the silence is important. You know, the sound and, you know, silence, whether it's trying to get inside the character of, of someone who can't hear or the emptiness of space, things like that. So it's, um, you know, fa- fascinating topic. You know, sound, so important, but uh, it's kind of the, a little bit of the redheaded stepchild of the film industry. I don't think sound, you know, people get as much respect and appreciation as they should. What happens is that I think the industry is going towards the same as humans. Um, humans, we are moving in a fast speed. And so now you go to the movies and you watch a film or a movie uh, that every three seconds has a different scene. Every four seconds is switching the, the, the image, so the sound. So it's overstimulating our brains to the point that we are no longer uh, stimulated, that we are no longer able to appreciate the beauty of just a, a leaf falling for the next 15, 20 seconds which is what great cinema is all about. And then if that's all that you expose people to, then is the result of that. People are the result of this speed, and cinema is the result of that speed. So we need to slow down a little bit and go back to the basics, I think. Uh, And I'm trying to do that, and I'm trying to understand that it's power on that. Maybe not. You're not going to be uh, celebrated in the next ten years. God knows. Uh, you know, maybe it's when you die. I don't know. But um, at least this is a message there that somebody's going to sit one day in solitude because probably they are depressed or probably they're just going through a hard time because they lost somebody and they are going to connect to a piece in another level that is going to give them the hope to continue. And that's what I think is all about at the end. So speaking of going back to the basics, you spent your early years really committed to and training as an actress. Do you still consider yourself an actress first and foremost, or do you now see yourself more producer, director, or do you refer to yourself as the all-encompassing filmmaker? I am consider myself as Maggie. So all I can tell you, it depends of where Maggie is needed. I am trying to just make of this profession a service for other people and uh, give everything that I have in me towards it. If it's needed because I'm writing a piece and this piece is going to be converted into a film that I can direct, there's something there as an actress that is important to be said for Maggie. It's good. If not, it's not. If, if somebody needs Maggie as an actress because it's a powerful script and they see that I can portray a crazy woman, I don't know, something that is powerful, that it speaks to me and the story speaks to me, then Maggie will be the actress. So I think I cannot put myself in a, in a little box, in a compartment, because I am the result of all of these things together. I will say this production is one portion that sometimes I try to stay away from it because because I respect that too much and uh, not only because I respect that too much but it takes away from your creative portion a lot um so yeah that if uh, out of all of them I, I do that when it's needed because independent filmmaking sometimes you need to do it but if I would have a good producer I will be more than happy and I will stay with the directing and the writing so so speaking of uh you being Maggie uh, what about Maggie as a character? Have you thought about writing a movie based on your life? I thought about 
my movies is still in motion. So maybe it's too early for that. But out of all of those characters that I'm writing, is a portion of Maggie there. And funny enough, a lot of my characters are male. I write to female too, but sometimes I connect a lot with the with the male psychology. Uh, I watch a lot, and to me, because I'm a female, to me is intriguing. I understand a lot the psychology of a woman because I am. So, but. For for me, the psych- uh, men usually have a way of seeing life so different than we are. So that uh, balance in between both uh, speak to me. But in regards to the characters that I write, sometimes I tend to, and I, I just realize about this, I tend to give a lot of weight to the to the male character, not because I am portraying a male character per se, but because I see that when they embrace their weakness and their emotions, they become stronger. And so my last project, for example, this character is a male going through a loss, how he goes through this by embracing himself. We tend to do that more, females. We tend to embrace a little bit more our emotions than you guys. That's why to me it's intriguing when you guys do this. It's a beautiful process that maybe you guys don't realize how much importance it has, even for us, when we watch you going through it. Because you are taught most of the times that it's a weakness. And at the end of the day, when a woman sees a man going through something like that and embrace it and kind of going through and challenge themselves, we think that is wonderful because it is like so in touch with who we are. So we feel closer at the end of the day through the emotion. Such an interesting paradox, the psychology and emotion of men and women and how they interact with each other. Uh, We're going to take one more quick break, and we'll be right back to conclude this episode. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating. Then you can head over to our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash shop, where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. I'm Howard Brand, and we're talking today with Maggie Pelfick. You are, I think, someone who definitely does not enjoy being idle, sitting around doing nothing. So what projects are you currently working on? I am writing that story that I told you that is a continuation of the original idea from my brother, um, that hopefully I can make it into a book first and then into a movie. I'm actually painting also (laughs) Uh, because I am going to publish a book of poetry that I've been writing my whole life. And so I want to include uh, original paints from me and from all the artists. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now, basically. And also feeding myself with a lot of reading. I'm reading right now uh, the Red Book from Kauf Jung um, because the story that I'm working on has to do a lot with psychology and social psychology and subconscious and all that. So yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. And then uh, what comes after that? Or are you just going to see what comes? I go along. Yeah, I think uh, I don't like to 
plan ahead that much. I kind to I'm the kind, the kind of person that uh, work on something and then once I accomplish that, the next thing comes because it's been running parallel to the other stuff. Uh, my process for creation takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. and I don't go with the first thing that comes to my mind. Sometimes, uh, as I said, the previous project that I did, uh, it took three years. I wrote a poem, but I never thought that that would be a film. Um, so it, it goes with whatever life brings. And then I kind of listen to what life brings. Will your paintings be able to be viewed anywhere? Will it just be cover work, huh? Hopefully. <laughs> well, in the book, at least, yeah. Uh, I finished one that is called The Sixth Element. Uh, and it has to do with um, how the sixth element is the consciousness that connects us all, that without it, we are just one of the elements that it doesn't contribute to earth or to humanity. So I truly believe that we have that gift for a reason. So we better make a good use of it. <laughs> and uh, it has to do with the uh, way that we interconnect with Earth also and how we flow with the circumstances in life, that without it, we kind of uh, dry it out. We, if we don't flow with the circumstances and we don't flow with Earth and we don't connect with nature, which which I think is part of why we become so psychotic these days. In general, you know, we all have our craziness, and uh, I think it's because we're lacking the con- with the contact of nature. We live in, in we have a, a disrupted nature flow in, in cities. Um, you don't have too much of uh, the network that is under, underneath from trees because of the buildings and the constructions and everything else. That's disrupting our energy too. And at the end of the day, um, we go from one box, which is called our house, apartment, slash, whatever, mm-hmm. studio, to another box, which is the car, to another box, which is the other place. And so we don't enjoy too much um, the beauty of breathing outside or enjoying the, the sun. It's, it's counting moments. Mm-hmm. And the more that, that you are an adult, the less that you enjoy of that. And now kids are even in the same path because mm-hmm. with computers and all the stuff. So they enjoy less that. And I think there's something that nature and the outside gives you that is irreplaceable and that you need to, as I come again with the story of that we are in a womb that is the world, (laughs) without that you won't survive. Mm -hmm. We think that we are really powerful and that we can control everything. But at the end of the day, if something, a natural disaster or something like that comes along, we are nothing. And I experienced it myself, as I was telling you this week, that my fridge broke. It's a five-year-old fridge, and it broke. And I was thinking, because I had two days of no refrigerator, how we will survive if something like that really happens, that we don't know how to preserve anything. We don't know how to live uh, like before. And that's a shame because then we are condemned to destruction, kind of, in the long run. Um, I've been reading about Nikolai Tesla that he made a publication in 1900 about um, how humans are um, per se a unit, mm-hmm. right? In movement. And at what velocity we are moving uh, because it's, it's one unit and that velocity moves in a certain uh, speed, mm-hmm. it affects 
everything. So we are moving at a speed that is incredible, incredibly fast. And that makes friction. And it's amazing how somebody from 1900 had a vision to see that. When at that moment, the uh, humanity was shifting from the old ways to industrialization. Right now we are shifting. We are in a big shift right now uh, because we are shifting to be humans, to become automats, uh, to become a product of just uh, connection with computers, right? And in the future, probably we will have only that because we are going to lose uh, the sense of being touched with so many other things that make us human. So mm -hmm. it comes to the question of AI and all these things, right? And how much an AI could replace a human mm -hmm. and how much an AI can uh, replace emotions and so forth, where well, we can be here forever with that one. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we are in a crucial moment of maintaining um, the uh, essence of what makes us humans. And I think part of the... Uh, connection needs to be with nature. And part of uh, how we speed down a little bit that velocity has to do with that. Um, and I, I'm usually in a, con in a constant search for um, how to expand your consciousness, how to become a little bit better every day, for whose standards, I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe for somebody's standards is not the right path, but for my own, at least it is. Mm -hmm. So I cannot do anything about what other individuals do, but I can do something about what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think if we, each of us, uh, start embracing that idea, then it's going to be a movement of change. And we are in a, in a crucial moment for that. I love your perspective on things. I think you're very... You're a pragmatist, like you understand, you understand and seek to understand more like where we are in the world, why we're here. I was going to make a joke that Edison probably stole that from Tesla. Also, you remind me, a, and I'm going to paraphrase uh, a great line from, from Fight Club, where he says, uh, to the effect, we spend our days at jobs that make us miserable, to make money, to buy things we don't need, to impress people we don't like. And uh, it's, and, and we all say, but yet, as much as we acknowledge, you know, it's hard to get out of it. I find, let me rephrase that. I find it hard, hard to. No, you're right. Get it's hard, that. and it, it, you will bleed, and, and it will hurt, and it's a never-ending job, um, which is the same as I was saying is facing your shadows, right? Mm -hmm. And is really, uh, it needs to become an obsession, kind of. Mm -hmm. Uh, to understand who you are, um, because you, in a way, most of us are strangers to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We think that we know who we are, and we live life like that until life hits us in the face and says, hey, listen, do you really know who you are? And put a hard situation, an extremely hard situation in front of you. And when that happens is when then you you realize that you don't really know yourself and then you slow down. It's like, I, I think that is when, think about that you are a bird, right? And you're going full speed and you don't see a glass, mm -hmm. right? It's there. The glass is there. You don't see it. And you, you're going to crash and then you're going to suffer and you're going to take some hours or, or probably half day to recuperate and be able to fly again. So it's the same thing. Either we slow down or we see the glass 
or we are going to crash. And we do it constantly. And uh, not just birds. When I was younger, my parents had to put stickers on the uh, sliding glass door screen and windows because I kept walking walking into them. (laughs) And, uh, you know, talk about knowing ourselves. My my wife and I, each of us know the other better than we know ourselves. You know, like she definitely knows me better than I know myself and I I know her better than she knows herself. Um, You know, it's... Because you take the time to observe the other person. But it's easier to see from the outside than yeah, from the inside. Yeah, you take that time to observe what is in the outside. Yeah. It's really hard to observe what is in the inside because it hides from you. So when it's like um, walking into a room uh, dark and you don't have the right equipment to be able to see through it. So you need you need night vision goggles for it, and there's there the tools are there. There's so many people that through throughout history that has worked uh, really hard, mm-hmm. and probably in their life they never got the recognition uh, of of the work that they did, or probably they lost their minds like Nietzsche, yeah. right? But their work is there for you to be able. And thank God right now is so much information out there that is even free. So if you really want to embrace that journey. It's a hard one, but it's, it's rewarding at the end of the day. So I, I will say to all the listeners out there, in this career, I think the moment that you realize that there's so much inside of you to say to the world, that's the moment that your craft becomes unique. Because it's only one you, and again, it will be only one vision of the way that you see life. Somebody invented the wheel tens of thousands of years ago. And uh, on on that note, not about the wheel, but what were you saying about about the craft? You know, we're on this crazy spinning rock. What advice would you give to a younger aspiring actress, director, or even artist if they wanted to, you know, follow in your footsteps or live life as an artist? You're crazy enough to feel it, so be crazy enough to walk through it because this is something that you either feel or you don't. It's not imposed. It's not something that you can, you learn skills uh, to become better, but it's inside. A lot of people get into this career because they want to be seen because probably they don't, they were not seen when they were little or they want recognition or fame or if that's the reason why you're coming through this, this is the wrong reason. Don't even, don't even try because, yeah, you could get the fame. Probably you get lucky enough, or I won't say lucky because I think, I don't know, it's a double-edged thing. But uh, you will get lucky enough to be famous and live from, from the fame. I go back to what I was saying before. It's a, it's a really heavy piece of cloth that you're going to wear in which you can lose yourself to the point that you don't recognize yourself anymore. And you don't know who you are anymore because you are going to be start portraying somebody in front of a lot of people to the point that you believe that that's who you are until something happens drastically again, because it's never easy. Something terrible or bad or that, you know, is going to make you smash against the glass happens and then you are going to find yourself there lost. So uh, you need to do this because it really moves your, your, your guts. It really is what you open your eyes and you say, this is wonderful and other people can can listen to this and be inspired by it. Or other people, maybe I can show a path in through this character to other person. If that's the reason, then continue. And it's not going to be easy because it's so many challenges. Life has many challenges. 
but it's rewarding. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. It's rewarding. I think it's the moment that you are able to, and somebody comes to you and say, well, with that character, you know, I felt this and that and that. Or when I read this, I felt this. When I saw that, that is just enough. Like Andrei Tarkovsky did seven movies. And it was a moment, him, like, believe me, he's one of the best out there in history, that it was a moment, if you read his diaries, that he was written, that he was thinking to get away from it because people didn't understand sometimes his films. And one day he received a letter from this farm person from the countryside, and that was good enough for him to continue because that person understood nature and the rhythm of his film so much because he was that. That person was that. He lived in the countryside, so he understood how beautiful it is to watch a leaf falling for five minutes. So for him was good enough. So sometimes one person that comes to you and tells you, hey, thank you because through that I was able to feel this or I was able to see myself is good enough. I think that's rewarding. Hell rewarding is like, a do- I guess it's like a doctor, right? When a doctor says, okay, I'm doing this for the service, which we hope more of them will be doing it right now. <laughs> but when they do that yeah. from the heart, and they help somebody, I'm super sure that they feel as happy as we do when they save somebody. And in a way, we save people because this is a lot of responsibility. It's it's a lot of responsibility to say things and that it resonates in somebody. And so take an acknowledgement that is a responsibility on what you're going to say and how you are going to show it to other people because you can hurt people too. It's It's a powerful tool. It's so powerful that Soviet Union used it in the 60s when um, they created uh, the school of cinema over there. It was really good, though. But when somebody didn't go along with the uh, uh, speech, they punished that person. Like Parajanov, he spent five years in jail just because he did his movie and he spoke out of it. So are you willing to take the risk and the chance? Ask yourself. Are you crazy enough to continue? Ask yourself. You don't have to be crazy to uh, work in this industry, but it helps. Ah, <laughs> but life is crazy, isn't exactly. it? So it has its downs and ups and it's wonderful. So, well, you might as well, right? Because it's only one. At the end of the day, you say, okay, well, it's got, if somebody right now is listening to this and they are 18, they oh, I have a lot of time. Believe me, you don't. You blink and it's going to pass 10 years. You blink and you're going to be 80. And you blink and it's over. It's a small dream condensing, I don't know. And, and as, as you get older, that time gets, you feel that time getting shorter. You feel time going quicker. Like it's, it's the end of June. Yeah, yeah, it's almost the end of June. It was just New Year's like an hour ago. But it's, I don't think it's only about getting older. I think it's about the speed that I was talking about that society and humanity is going through. Is so much that uh, we live by marketing calendars, I say. So right now is the marketing calendar of Father's Day. And then a month ahead of that, they show you the calendar. So you are already in, in, in the Father's Day one month ahead of it. And two months ahead of Halloween and three months. A- Honestly, I, I do hate uh, holidays. <laughs> I'm a little green to it because of that. Not because of what the holiday means, but because we are pre-programmed to speed up our lives. 
we are pre-programmed since we are little to expect for those days that are magic. Hey, no, every day is magic. Just the fact that you open your eyes and you're breathing and you have the opportunity to be alive is a magic moment. So when you're expecting so much these things, they become a border because when you get there, you get to spend actually it's, and, and you maybe know this, but it's statistically more crimes are committed and more, more uh, homicides and killings and everything around the holidays because people have so much expectation to this day and they are, they are uh, with the people that they know the most and know them the most that is irresistible to confront and to create chaos in that environment. So... It's all I can say. Just slow down and breathe and enjoy the moment. Some heavy stuff there. Yeah. Talk about, but it's important. Um, enjoy listening to it. Where, uh, like I said before, you you fascinate me. Thank you. Yeah, just listening. And I think our listeners are fascinated too. Where can they find you on either social media, your website, or get in touch with you? Yeah, social media. I have an Instagram that is called Magali Pefi, and I usually drop in and out <laughs> real quick, <laughs> post certain things. and But yeah, you can send me messages through there and I respond to messages accordingly with moments <laughs> that I drop in. Um, and um, I have my IMDb for the ones that are in the profession. My information is in the IMDb Pro and yeah, they can contact me through there. But soon, uh, because I'm going to be publishing the book, so probably through the literary publisher. So yeah, also. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Um, Likewise. I like it when it makes me think. You know, it makes me really, pro I mean, I love talking about movies and I love talking about the industry and all that. But, you know, we talked about so many other things revolving, you know, the world and, and our lives and nature. Felt like a spiritual experience having you on here. So I, I thank you. We would uh, gladly welcome you back. Thank you. In the future. And I wish you the best of luck. And I'm excited to see all these uh, great pieces of art coming from you. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope that you can see uh, the latest one that I was speaking about. It's running festivals right now. It's called Case Fable. I think you heard a lot about other things because in a way I think filmmaking has to do with life. The good filmmaking has to do with how much you get to know that in yourself. And so that will reflect in what you do. So that's why I think it's important for all the people that are listening to get in touch with themselves so they can produce really beautiful art. And then it's that emotional connection. Totally. Which is huge. Totally. Thank you. This has been the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway Podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan with associate producer Victor Ferreira. The executive producer is Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website, www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you could send any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at www 
www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash store to get your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We hope you will join us for our next episode where we will continue bringing on special guests to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Lights out.